0: Well, today we are continuing our teaching called Road to the Cross. And literally, if you go throughout scripture, you can trace Jesus' road to the cross. In fact, I would encourage you to consider doing that. There's a little book written by a guy named Dawson McAllister years and years ago. Some of you that are uh, old like me, <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek, but uh, uh, when I was a teenager, I'd go to Dawson McAllister conferences, and he wrote a little book called. Um, I'm drawing a blank on it now, but it's uh, the road to the cross, something along those lines. And he traces the last week of Jesus' life. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But what I realized is not only did Jesus have a literal road to the cross, but you and I have a road to the cross. And we've been calling this series, The Road to Easter, because our heartbeat is that we would not miss Easter. And what I mean by that is it's so easy to get used to things that happen year after year. It's so easy to take these seasons for granted. It's so easy, if we're not careful, just to get to the other side of Easter and miss the significance of it, to miss the significance that God came to this earth and he beat death. And he came back to life and he gives resurrection life to anyone that will ask him. So we don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. And so the road to Easter is this road to say, let's experience it afresh. Let's experience it anew. Last week, Pastor Chuck kicked it off with such a powerful word. I mean, especially if you're here at the 11, what uh what a, just a God appointed meeting that happened in this place and on And so what, what an incredible word next. Next week, I think, is probably one of the most encouraging weeks of the teaching. I really think that next week's going to be incredible. And then the following week is obviously Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And I can't wait for those things. Honestly, today is probably the least popular topic of the series. You're like, great. I lost an hour of sleep and I came to the least popular Uh <laughs> this morning's isn't one of those things that people sign up for. It's not one of those things that when I talk about it, that necessarily you're going to be excited about, but I'm telling you, I've never seen another stop along the road to Easter that has made such an impact, such a lasting difference. This topic we're gonna talk a bit about today could bring some explanation to maybe some frustrations you have. It could bring some hope to maybe a situation you're in. It could maybe help put some things in perspective. This topic, this stop along the journey, and there's a lot of stops along the journey on the road to Easter, but this one could be the one that could make the most definite difference in our lives if we'll understand it, if we'll accept it, if we'll learn from it, if we'll embrace it. And this stop is the stop of brokenness. You get why I say that's not the most popular topic. I didn't hear any amens. (laughs) Nobody's tweeting, hey, it was awesome. He talked about brokenness. He talked about hurt. He talked about pain. He talked about those seasons of our lives where we're like, God, I didn't want this thing. God, I didn't vote on this thing. God, I didn't see it coming. Nobody's gonna be like, man, that was incredible. I want brokenness probably you didn't wake up this morning thinking, man, I I got one hour less of sleep. Uh, For those of you that are parents, you've got a month less of sleep because your kids are gonna have to adjust to the new normal, right? Uh, And and now you're like, I'm gonna experience brokenness, but here's what I want want you to do. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Mark chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got a giant one on the screen. But always, as Rachel said in the video, you can follow along in our church app. There's a place called Message Slides right within the app. There's also a place called The Latest and for pop-ups and all the things. But in Mark chapter 14, there's two pieces of scripture I want to show you. And then I want to use it sort of as a metaphor for how I believe this plays out in our lives. The first one is Mark 14, starting in verse 3. It says, while he, talking about Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So this is Jesus hanging out with ordinary people. This is Jesus, not in the temple, not hanging out with the religious elite. This is Jesus hanging out with people that honestly were untouchable in his day. Most people avoided lepers. Here's Jesus hanging out with lepers. Most people avoided prostitutes. In a moment, Jesus meets this prostitute. And so Jesus is among normal, broken, ordinary people. Here's what it says in verse three. And while he was there at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. So she's got this container that is full of this expensive perfume, right? She's brought her New Testament version of essential oils to the room. I thought that'd be funnier, but it wasn't. (laughs) And it says it was, this is why I know it's essential oils. It was very costly. (laughs) In fact... Researchers say that this was worth about a year's wage, which in our equivalency would be about $20,000. Does that hit you like it hits me? This isn't just a a momentary splurge. This isn't a, you know, just just an Amazon, oh, I'm bored, let me buy something kind of thing. This was a year's worth. This, this is huge. This is, it says that she took this ointment, ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she, here's the word, she broke the flask. Do you see that? She broke the flask and she poured it over his head. I find that fascinating. She broke it. And then if you skip down later in the very same chapter, this is a different scene, different situation. Jesus is literally on the road to Easter, on the road to the cross, And he has this final meal with his disciples. We call it the upper room discourse. We call it the last supper. This is Jesus hanging out with his inner circle of guys. Again, most of them just normal dudes, not religious elite, not pedigree, none of that stuff. Just normal people that are following him. And as he's having this meal, it was the Passover meal. It's something they did year after year after year to remind them of what God had done in Exodus when he delivered them and redeemed them. In fact, Pastor Chuck alluded to it last week that we're going to be hanging out in that passage over the week of Easter, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're calling it the four promises or the four cups of Easter. That was the meal that Jesus was having at the end of Mark 14 with his disciples. And as part of that meal, there was bread. And here's what it says in verse. 22, and as they were eating Jesus, he took the bread. Again, this is part of the symbolism. This is part of that meal. It says he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus took this powerful symbol that they had been observing for hundreds of years now. And he said, this isn't just a meal. This isn't just looking forward to one day. Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of these things. This is my body that's gonna be broken for you. This is my blood that's gonna be shed for you. And in that picture... I think we find a wonderful picture of what God wants to do in my life and in your life, that God wants to use you and do something in you. And so what I wanna do is I wanna show you the four words that come right out of this picture. And I wanna use it as a metaphor today because a lot of us are wrestling with, well, how do we live this Christ-like life? How do we do what God's called us to do? How do we live this out? And I think, honestly, What happens in this passage is a wonderful, wonderful picture of what happens in our lives. And the four words come right out of verse 22. It says, as they were eating, he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to them." So we're going to put them on the screen. If you have notes or you want to follow along and jot these down, let me describe to you this road to the cross and describe to you what this looks like. And the first one is number one, you and I are chosen. We're chosen. Now I know in the passage it says that he took the bread, and so when I first was writing this out a few uh, earlier this week, I started by, with the list of words, and I started with the word "taken" that you've been taken, and then I was like, "Man, that sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? it? Sounds a little cold." So I picked a different word than what's actually in the verse, but it means the same thing. So when Jesus is ha- having this meal, he literally chose the bread, he picked it up, he took the bread. And the reason why I think this is a great metaphor for you and I is because when I look at this room and I think about who's on the other side of this camera, when I think about you, I know we live in a world that likes to point out everything that's wrong with us. I get it. I get it. That comparison's a big deal. I get that no matter how old we are, no matter what age or stage we are, we still feel like we've got to measure up to somebody else. I get it that we feel this pressure to say, well, by this age, I've got to be this place in my career. By this age, I've got to have X number of kids. By this age, I've got to have this size of a house. By this age, I've got to be retired. By this age, and on and on and on. What happens, no matter what age or stage we are, no matter where we grew up, no matter what our background is, there's hardwired inside of us, this comparison thing that causes us to look at somebody else or someone else and think that there's something lacking in us. Now, maybe we want to admit that today. I'm not going to pass the microphone around. I'm not going to ask you to drop in the chat to tell us, do you feel lacking today? But I'll just go first and say, I get what it looks like to not feel chosen. Now, for those of y'all that know me know that I know nothing about sports. You ask, well, how much is nothing? I know absolutely nothing. The only thing I know from sports is because my good friend, Bill Cox, that's a wonderful part of our church, took me to a Lanier game a year or two ago. We stood sort of to the side so he could describe to me what I was watching on the field. I don't know anything about sports. I don't know anything about sports. When I was uh, born, I was born with a lazy eye. So my left eye would go, woo, and just look wherever. And so I thought that'd be funny. It wasn't awesome. So I've had three surgeries, three surgeries to line up my eyes. But because of that, I don't have much depth perception. Anybody else with me? Fearful of parking and all the things. And so I don't have great depth perception. So I was terrible at sports. Here's how bad it was. When I was a kid, I struck out at kickball. (laughs) You've got a red ball coming at you. I'm like, yeah. What's worse than that is I struck out at T-ball. The ball's just sitting right there. I remember playing T-ball when I was a kid and... Uh, I, was between, I was on third base thinking about going to home and I had one coach yelling at me to go, run, run, run. I had another coach yelling at me to stay. So I did what every Manly Kid does. I just melt, melted down on the, on, the, on the field. I had an ugly cry, as the ladies would call it. And so I, I was never good at sports. I always felt left out. I remember in sixth grade, I feel like this is therapy time with Pastor Bobby. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sitting in. I remember being in sixth grade, signing up for a basketball camp at my church that one summer, and I thought, all right, I'm going to sign up and learn how to play basketball. The problem was everybody else that was there already was awesome. (laughs) This kid, Ryan, punched me in the back and was like, what are you doing here? So when I talk about this first word being chosen, I'm talking to people that no matter how old you are, I mean, I'm 42 and I still have flashbacks to me, ugly crying in T-ball. You know what I'm saying? No matter how old we are, no matter how accomplished we are, no matter how talented we are, no matter how good the things that God's doing in our lives are, I think inside of us, and I don't mean to imply on something on you that's not true, but I think for all of us, we have those areas that we feel like we have a lack. And we're never going to be enough. And so I start with this first word of the metaphor, chosen to say that God loves you. That word chosen means you're seen. That word chosen means you're not an accident. That word chosen means you're not suffering alone. That word chosen means that you may not have been planned by your parents, but that doesn't mean you're an accident. There's eternity on your life. There's something that God wants to do in you and through you. There's a reason why you're alive. There's a reason why there's breath in your lungs. There's something that God wants to do in you and through you. It's not in the past. It's not in past accomplishments. It's not in past successes. There's still something in front of you. There's a reason why the windshield is bigger than the rear view mirror. You are meant to live forward. You're meant to walk into what God has for you. You are chosen. You're loved. And I wish we could just just let that sink in for a minute. That for every older person that feels like maybe I'm forgotten, you're loved. For every couple that's wrestling with stresses in their relationship or or trying to have a family and all these things, you're loved, you're seen. For every person that feels like, man, I, I don't have the gifts, the talents, the abilities, God made you, you, you're number one chosen. The second picture in this metaphor is that you're blessed. Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. Now, I know he literally did this, but I think it's, it's a metaphor for what he does over our lives as well. The word blessing is a powerful word over the last dozen or so years. It's become even more meaningful for me. Uh, we get the word uh, blessing. It's sort of a derivative of the Latin benediction. Some of you that grew up going to church and we had the bulletins, oftentimes at the end of the service, there's a benediction. It literally means to speak words of blessing over somebody. So maybe you didn't know it, but literally what Pastor Chuck does almost every single Sunday when he gives us the blessing at the very end, that's a benediction. That's a, that's a good word being spoken over you. And so this is what God does in our lives. God chooses us and then he blesses us. God speaks over us. If you know him personally, he speaks over you the word of you're my son, you're my child, you're my daughter. When he speaks over you, he, he talks about the perfect plan that he has for your life. When he speaks over you, he talks about the good work that he began in you will not Finished, but he's going to keep working it to completion till the day of our Lord. And so he speaks these words of blessing over you. And I don't think we ever get to an age that we need, we stop needing somebody to speak good words over us, do we? Over this last year, um, part part of the thing that happened with my shoulder surgery is I went to uh, rehab, uh, physical therapy, for four months between my shoulder and a knee injury I have. And over those four months, oftentimes when I was at physical therapy, there's another gentleman there whose name is Charles. And Charles was uh, going through a couple of knee surgeries. And his reason was his nephew was gonna come visit. And so he wanted to be able to do all the things with his nephew when he came in town. And one of the cool things about Mr. Charles is I don't think he has any kids of his own, but almost every day that I was there, the timing worked out that uh, at some point during therapy, he would hit pause, Mr. Charles would, and he would get on his phone and he would FaceTime with his little nephew. And I had the privilege of overhearing Mr. Charles almost every single day blessing his nephew. Hey, big guy, are you up? Hey, big guy, are you ready for the day? Hey, you got a big test today. You got this, don't you? And I thought, man, what a gift to have somebody speaking words of hope over us. We need that, don't we? Man, what a metaphor that Jesus takes the bread and, and, and that bread has purpose. Jesus blesses the bread. Jesus blesses your life. He speaks words of hope and words of goodness over you. But here's the part that we don't necessarily like Jesus breaks the bread. Jesus breaks the bread. Jesus literally took the bread and he broke it. And the reason why I put these two stories side by side in our notes to say this woman with that jar broke it. And then Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it is because I think that's really part of the road that most of us avoid. But it could be the most beneficial. There is a blessing inside of brokenness. Now, in the moment, it may not feel like it. In the moment, it may not feel like it's something that we should seek. But I'm telling you, there is something blessed about brokenness. I read this week about a young priest that was about to uh, give the Eucharist with his congregation. And so he had this fancy choice crystal sort of goblet kind of thing with the wine. And so he had this fancy, very expensive uh, uh, cup. And as he lifted the cup, it slipped out of his hands and it shattered into a million pieces. And he was a young priest and he was scared to death of what the older priest was gonna say. He thought he was gonna be judged. He thought he was gonna be ridiculed. He thought he was gonna be yelled at. But instead this older priest said this, and here's what I quote. I never knew there were so many beautiful pieces to reflect the light until the cup was broken. How marvelous and beautiful are all the pieces when the light shines on them. There is beauty in the midst of brokenness. And so if you don't mind, let me hang out here just for a second. And let let me give you a couple of the reasons why I think this is such an important part and how God uses brokenness in our road to the cross. The first reason I think God uses brokenness is the first one is because our relationship with him deepens. Our relationship with him deepens. God allows us to be broken so that he can bless us. God doesn't want our faith to be uh, shallow, God doesn't want our faith to be situational. God doesn't want our faith just to be when it's convenient for us or when our back's against the wall. God will use brokenness to cause us to walk in a deeper relationship with them. I, I, I've had many people tell me over the years, I've never felt closer to God than I did during the season of brokenness. He wants to use it. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason. Again, these are in the app or you can write these down. But the second reason that God will use the blessing of brokenness is number two, to get us to confront our true selves. To get us to confront our true selves. One of the enemies of brokenness is our personal pride. One of the enemies of true brokenness is our self-sufficiency. One of the enemies of true brokenness is we feel like I've got it together. I can do it myself. But what God will do in the middle of brokenness is cause us to see who we really are. And most often than not, we've got an overinflated version of ourselves in our mind. We think we've got it better together than we really do in life. And God will use the blessing of brokenness to help us to see who we really are. Not to break our spirits, but to break our strong wills that are fighting what he has for us. Does that make sense? Here's a third reason. Not only because our relationship with God deepens, not only to get us to confront our true selves, but here's a third one, to bring about lasting change. To bring about lasting change. I think you and I both know that sometimes the change that we intend doesn't last very long. I mean, that, hello, here we are in 2021. Well, I, how many of us are actually keeping those things we said in January we were gonna do this year? I mean, it's so easy for our intentions. We've got good intentions, but we don't necessarily always back them up with good habits. We expect there to be some magic pill or some magic prayer, and suddenly we've done everything we're supposed to. But because God loves us so much and because God wants what's best for the long haul, not just for the season. See, oftentimes, at least for me, I get so focused on the season that I forget the life. God will use brokenness to bring about lasting change. We put it this way in our notes that brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. Those that have been wounded deeply are typically the ones that God uses greatly. I mean, that's true in the Bible. That's probably true in friends that you know in your life as well, that the ones that have been wounded the deepest are probably the ones that have been used the greatest because there is beauty on the other side of brokenness. And then here's the last reason why I think he allows it. There's, there's more we could say, but number four, so that we can be used in the lives of others. We can be used in the lives of others. Sometimes it doesn't dawn on us that our brokenness isn't just about us. That maybe the, the, the other side of brokenness is that God's gonna place you in somebody's life that needs you to, to share the brokenness with them. That there's gonna be a season in somebody's life, maybe it's in your neighborhood or maybe it's in a small group setting. Maybe it's a stranger, I don't know, but God's gonna use you if you'll be open to it to see somebody that's hurting, to see somebody that's broken, to see somebody that's weeping, somebody that, that needs help. And God's going to use you, if you allow him to, to point them, to give them hope, to help them to see that they are seen, to help them to see that they are blessed, that to help them to see that there is an other side of the brokenness. The fourth word that we're not really going to get to hang out on is that he gives it, that, that, that he's going to use you to give it away to somebody else. God will do that. Here's, here's the quote that we put in your notes. And honestly, I've heard several different pastors say this over the years so I don't know who the right person is to actually give credit to but it rings so true in my heart here's the phrase we might impress people with our strengths but we actually connect with people through our weaknesses we may impress people with our strengths hey look at my resume look at my pedigree pedigree look at look at all the stuff we may impress people but we actually connect with people through our weaknesses isn't that true Probably the people you love the most aren't the people that act like they've got it all together. But it's the people that said, man, I'm broken, but I'm on the journey with you. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Years ago, I think it was five or six years ago, Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a Christian psychologist, He's written many, many, many great books. One of those books is called Boundaries. If you've never read Boundaries, you've got to read it. You've got to read it. But he's written so many good books, so many good books. But probably five or six years ago, I saw a post of his on Facebook, or as my mom calls it, the Facebook. And he talked about that if you were to put a teardrop under a microscope, that not all tears look the same, He said that literally the kind of tear changes at the molecular level. In fact, here's a picture of at least four examples of this. Isn't that crazy? That you could cry tears of grief and it looks different than tears of change. Grief, losses, things that maybe even in this last year you haven't been able to mourn properly. Sometimes there's tears of change. Uh, oftentimes we can, we can deal with change as long as we're part of the process, but oftentimes change gets forced on us. And that looks different. That tear looks different. I like that, that he included onion tears. You might call that uh, toxic tears, right? Things that you're, you just don't respond well to. And then of course there's the laughing tears. And one of the things that he said that I thought was just, uh, just a great, Reminder. When I think of brokenness, I think of tears. And God could have chosen to put our tear ducts wherever he wanted to. God could have chosen to put our ear ducts under our arms. And maybe we could buy some anti-tear perspirant and nobody would ever know when we're crying. But instead he put them in our eyes. And I think one of the reasons why that may be is so that when we're feeling broken and we're feeling alone and we're feeling forgotten and those tears well up, that there'd be some trusted friend that sees into us and can remind us of our Heavenly Father that says, You may be broken, but you are still chosen. You may be hurting, but I'm telling you in the grand scheme of eternity, I am speaking blessing over you. You may be in this moment and you feel broken, but I'm still going to, here's that fourth word, I'm going to give you. In other words, your story's not done. You still got breath in your lungs, right? You still got a beating heart in your chest, right? Your story's not done. And the same Jesus that modeled a life in his own life that was chosen and his life that was blessed when he was baptized, his heavenly father spoke from heaven and said, this is my boy in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus, whose body was broken on the cross and given as a ransom for many, says, I can do that same thing in you and through you if you'll quit fighting it. And so I just wanna encourage you today. I don't know where you are in the road to the cross. I think it's funny, I've called this series everything. (laughs) The road to Easter, the road to, it's the road to the cross. I don't know where you are along that stop, but if you allow Him to, God will use brokenness, not to hurt you, not to harm you, but for your good and for the good of the kingdom. Can I pray for you this morning? Thank you, Lord. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? If you're watching online, I invite you to pray with us as well. But for whatever reason, this week, there was a couple of directions we could have gone, and, man, this felt like the word that I needed to wrestle with and maybe you needed to wrestle with as well. So this morning, if you find yourself and what you would consider a broken place. And you know what that is. You don't need me to describe it. You don't need somebody else. To, you know it. Your gut check is telling you that. Would you just take a moment. And as best as you can. Surrender that brokenness to him. And what I mean by that is oftentimes there are things that can get in in the way of us learning from broken seasons. For some people, it really is self-sufficiency. They don't feel like they need anything. And I'm telling you, I've been alive long enough to know I need him. For some, it's honestly pride. Man, pride is such an ugly thing. It's so easy to see in somebody else's life. It is terribly hard to see in the mirror. For some, it's, man, you've gotten off track with all the politics stuff and all the mask stuff and all the uh, drama online. And, man, it's step back. (laughs) What's God doing in your heart? For others, it's a tough season. For some, it's a prayer that feels like it's never getting answered. Whatever that is, would you just take a moment and say, Dear Jesus, as best as I can, I give this over to you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my all. You don't have to have the perfect words for that. In fact, in the middle of brokenness, sometimes it's not even the words we say, it's what our heart screams that say louder than words. God, I need you. Whether you're in the room or you're watching a line I'd love for you to take a moment either today or early this week to drop us a note at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com to let us know how we can join you in lifting that up. Heavenly Father, we spent a week encouraging one another because that's what you've called us to. This week, would you help us to rest in you? Wrestle with our brokenness, wrestle with our hurts. God, would you allow the broken pieces in our lives to drive, you, drive us deeper in relationship with you. God, would you change us? God, would you work in us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. In just a moment, I wanna ask Pastor Zach and the team just to lead us for a moment and to, to release us out from this week. But before I do, I wanna encourage you, man, so many of you have participated this last week in our scripture memory. And if you're new to this, every week this month, we're memorizing a different piece of scripture. This week, we're memorizing Revelation 1-8 that says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, amen. What a powerful, powerful word for us to memorize this week. And so I wanna encourage you, if you wanna be part of this, one person per family pick up one of these envelopes. It's got enough supplies, enough ways to memorize it for the whole family, but we'd love to encourage you. If there's ever a week that we need to be reminded that of who God is and that, that He's still almighty and He's still in charge, I think it's this week. But if you don't mind, let's stand together and let's lift this up one more time before we head out today. We love you guys. We're so grateful to get to walk this road with you. Sing this one more time. Through the world, only through the fur. To what you are famous for. What you are famous for. Shut the mouths of legs. Bring dry bones to life. To what you are famous for. What you are famous for. Thank you so much for being with us today. Have a great rest of your week, and may that God go before you.